the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Rob Black, weekday mornings from 10 to noon on Talk 910 KNEW. You, your money, your life, your dreams. The answers are here. This is Rob Black. So because we had Chad Burton in the first hour, I'll start the second hour with a little market analysis and give you a little insight into what happened yesterday and a little insight into what's happening today and why. Uh, my goal is to educate you. My goal is not to be your Buddha, not to be your guru, at least not uh, until I get to know you. So and that's just not going to happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm a loner. I don't want to get to know people. I'm shy. Uh, let's talk about the market. Stock market sold off yesterday, and that's not terribly unusual. It happens. With the pullback on Friday and on Monday, the S&P 500 still up 14% since July 10, and that's just ripe for selling activity. What was unusual was that there wasn't any concerted effort to buy on the weakness in those two days. Market opened down big yesterday, pretty much went sideways the rest of the day, closed near its basically recent low of the session. Now, there were what are called hallmarks of a defensive trade written all over it. Treasuries in the dollar moved higher, while relative strength leaders in the stock market, areas that had been relatively strong, healthcare, better than expected. Consumer staples, things that you have to have, better than expected. Utilities, you got to turn on your electricity, better than expected. But overall, the rest of the market, not so good. Just not a lot of buyers out there yesterday. Now, things have taken a different course today, but ching, we're on the upside. I wouldn't have predicted that. I would have thought there would have been some follow-through. Now, better than expected economic sentiment report out of Germany, and better than expected earnings from Dow Component Home Depot, they basically counted as uplifting factors in the wake of Monday's losses. They were reasons enough for people to say, you know what, good enough by me. I think I'll, I'll take a yes on this. As far as the stock market goes, there's trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines. Stock market's up 83 today on the Dow, 23 on the NASDAQ, 9 on the S&P 500, 10-year treasuries at 3.5%. So the security of the 10-year treasuries, 3.5%. Government's going to pay you back on that. 3.5% per year, each year for the next 10 years. Now, you got to do better than that because inflation tends to run 2 to 4%. So typically when inflate when the 10-year treasury is under 4%, you buy stocks. And when the 10-year treasury is over 4%, you buy bonds. Typical. And not always. And certainly not if you're a 20-year-old hottie. If you're young and your abs look good, you don't need to be buying bonds. Now, a better than expected economic sentiment report out of Germany was, was the key today. Now, yesterday, it was worse than expected GDP numbers out of Japan. Like, what are we supposed to make of this on a day-by-day basis? I don't want you to pay attention to the day-by-day. I want you to learn what's happening day-by-day so that you can learn not to pay attention to it day-by-day. Home Depot's results were the stuff of, you know, the July rally that was, you know, made of. Earning surprises driven by expense savings. This is getting old. Whether it's Anheuser-Bev, Anheuser-Busch InBev, a big liquor company, or it's Home Depot... No one's hitting home runs on on revenue. 
they're hitting home runs on firing people or cutting inventory or managing expenses. Bob Novak dead. Next story. On the economic front, producer prices down almost 1% in the month of July. Now, that is good news. I am not afraid of Jason Voorhees. I'm being serious with you. If a big guy with a hockey mask and a, a, a machete comes in and busts in my house, I'm not going to run. He's got me. I'm not afraid of Freddy Krueger. Can't run from your dreams, right? But what I am afraid of is inflation. Inflation scares the hell out of me because if I don't grow my money faster than inflation, I'm going to eat cat food when I'm 65 years old. So I fear inflation. The PPI number today, the producer price is down almost 1%. Producers, not consumers. There's two people, producers and consumers. I don't want to produce anything consumed or manufactured. I don't want to manufacture anything consumed or produced. Um, You can get into that whole spiel, but that's neither here nor there. Producer prices, they're not seeing inflation, which basically means they're not going to push up prices on us. They don't need to. July PPI number doesn't underscore the idea that inflation pressures are held in check. That's good news. July housing starts were down 1% from June to a seasonally adjusted rate of 581,000 units. Market had been expecting a modest rise. Now, notably in these July housing numbers today, single family starts were up in all regions with the exception of a 3.4% decline in the Midwest. We don't need housing starts. The nice thing about housing starts and building permits is it puts people to work. The local electrician, the local guy who knows how to use a hammer, the local Home Depot, the clerk at Home Depot. So housing starts put people to work. The construction guy, the granite guy, the, you know, cement guy, the guy who drives a cement truck, the guy who owns a cement company. So housing starts are good because they help the economy, but we got too many freaking, freaking houses already in the United States. We don't need any more. We need to sell stuff we got for a couple months. The inventory is too great. It's going to keep putting pressure on real estate prices. If we keep building more, real estate prices will keep coming lower. We got too much. And there's a lot of people who had their home for sale. No one bought it for six months. And they're like, I can't keep paying this mortgage. So they put it up on rental. So in a year or two from now, we're going to see a lot of rentals turn back into for sales. We don't need new homes. No way, shape, or form. I am thinking about starting a hippie commune because I think that'd be kind of cool. So risk aversion is rearing its ugly head. Yesterday was an archetypical example of a shift towards risk aversion. Now, it's the names that you would expect. Like I said, it's the staples. And I'm going to give you some ticker symbols. And you can go start an account at Yahoo. And in that account, you can start a portfolio. And you can put these three in there. These are called risk aversion plays. Healthcare is XLV. Staples, consumer staples are XLP. Utilities are XLU. Now you know how to play defense. Most everything else in the S&P 500, as far as sectors go, is offense. Can't have just one. Now, there's some depth to the action that reared its head yesterday. I still expect the markets to pull back because what we saw yesterday was the dollar and the yen spent most of the session ripping higher. The euro, the Aussie dollar, the Canadian dollar, all relatively weak. Junk bonds, which is ticker symbol HYG, got whacked. It got schwacked. Now, noticeable reaction to the upside in the VIX as well. This morning, there was a survey out of Germany. It's called the Zoo Survey, Z-E-W. And it came in better than expected, and that suggested a turn in confidence in the most important economy in the European Union, Germany. And that got us bouncing. But interestingly today, the euro is weaker against the dollar. So there's some discrepancies going on out there. Hurricane Bell. 
Uh, this is kind of interesting. Hurricanes in the Gulf freak me out because they take oil platforms off and it sends prices of oil higher. Hurricanes on the Atlantic side, they tend to ruin um, oranges and they tend to cause insurance companies to freak out because there's a lot of homes on the on the eastern seaboard of the Atlantic. So this one, if you own insurance companies or if you own orange juice uh, futures or plays on orange juice, you don't want it to be in the Atlantic. And that's exactly where it is. Now, I don't own any insurance companies at this point in time, so I don't care about this one. I'm kind of glad that it hit the Atlantic side. So Hurricane Bill, is it's, it's hanging out. It's going to turn into a major hurricane in the next two days, they expect. It's going to hit Bermuda, and it's going to hit Bermuda pretty aggressively. So they say. Now, even more importantly, it is going to maybe make a shift. Could it make a shift towards the United States, in which point North Carolina, Virginia, uh, New Jersey, that area could potentially get hit? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a weather expert. Evelyn Taft at Cron. She's a weather expert, so to speak. Please refer to the 910 blog for a further explanation on Evelyn Taft. Now, retailers are higher today. Home Depot came out better than expected. Target, ticker symbol TGT, came out with the results that topped expectations. So kind of all retailers are doing well today. And yesterday, all retailers did kind of bad. Now, TJX did well today. Who the frickin' frackin' is TJX? TJX operates eight retail chains. Um, they do mainly TJ, TJ Maxx and Marshalls, which you probably know as off-price clothing retailer, which you probably know as Please Mom, Don't Take Us to Marshalls, which you probably know as Oh, Good God, We're in TJ Maxx. I didn't know you could get a pair of sandals for 43 cents. So they also have home goods chains. Again, discount. TJ Maxx is kind of ghetto retail. Low-income retail. And I know the word ghetto is not too cool to say, so low-income retail. And they're doing incredible. <laughs> they're doing incredible. What's that tell you? The American consumer is struggling. They're now willing to go to Marshalls, and they're now willing to go to uh, TJ Maxx. So income at TJ Maxx uh, rose to $260 million from last year's $200 million. And they said, quote, as we enter the back half of the year, we continue to plan prudently. So that's good. It's good management commentary. Oil today a little bit higher with the stock market. What's good for retail is ultimately good for oil. So says today. Um, there's an upgrade on stocks like Goldman Sachs and American Express. Some financials get a little bit of love from the community. Um, Sprint, ADC, Sienna, Ericsson, Telabs. All these telecommunication stocks are up today, but they're all down yesterday. Ooh, here's kind of important. Hewlett Packard's going to report numbers later today. Now, Hewlett Packard out of Palo Alto, out of a garage at one point. Um, they've got a great manager, a guy named Mark Hurd. He replaced Carly Fiorina, who I think she set Mark Hurd up beautifully because she bought Compact and shut down the biggest low-cost competitor that they had. And all HP had to do was, was outperform Dell as far as management goes, and they outperformed Dell. So Mark Hurd kind of inherited a really good situation. Look for HP's numbers today to be better than expected because what Mark Hurd is really good at, and I don't know his accent, but he'll, he'll say something like this. Well, we just had a nice quarter and, mm, you know, it's pretty tough out there. And golly gee, we're going we're gonna to make sure that we're good on our, our, our cost and administration costs and expenses. And, well, we'll, st- we'll just see about next quarter. And he, he's an aggressive, mean mother behind the scenes. And he cut costs beautifully. And Wall Street loves him because what he does to us is he underpromises and overdelivers. So if I'm a stockbroker, I can call you up and go, bing, 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 bing. hey, Heidi, I got a stock idea for you. HP, they've got this great company. They're expected to grow 10% this year, and then they'll grow 12%. And Heidi will be like, good call, Rob. So stockbrokers and investment advisors and people along those lines, they love this company because it makes 
Wall Street look smart. A lot of money flows in because of that. Now, once a company burns you, my money will never go back to that company. Burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. Sometimes I get my metaphors a little bit mixed, and I apologize. Okay, one last stock that I want to mention before I head to my break, because I'm long-winded here, is CIT. I've told people to sell shares of CIT, and recently it moved up 50, 60, 70% on speculation. CIT is on the fringe of bankruptcy. Any company that's on the fringe of bankruptcy, they can move from 50 cents to a dollar pretty darn easily. Keep that in mind. It's not my game, and it's not my racket. I don't like buying weak stocks. I don't like dating people without teeth. I have some standards in this world. You should have some standards. A company that's on the brink of bankruptcy, there's a chance that they go bankrupt and they take those shares to $0.00 and 0 cents. So can CIT play around and be up big and down big and up big and down big? Ultimately, very strong chance they go bankrupt and go to zero. So I would be very, very cautious playing with dollar stocks that are fringe of bankruptcy. You may, it may be your thing. It may not be mine. So just keep that in mind. I'm not good at uh, short-term crystal ball, what can happen. I'm more so set in stone what's going to happen over time. I'd stay away from that stock. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Got some open phone lines. First hour is all CFP Chad Burton. So please, people, come talk to me. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Noon on Talk 910 KNEW. Now, Rob Black. The live blog is up and going to 910KNEW.com, 910KNEW.com. I've kind of banned Paula and Dr. Immersion from the live blog because they're always off topic. And I want the community during these two hours to focus on issues, whether they're right or wrong, on how to get to retirement. For instance, um, I just saw something recently on professional athletes. 80% of professional athletes get divorced. And if you're a professional athlete or think about becoming a professional athlete, you need to be careful because divorce is very, very expensive when you've got you know a million-dollar signing bonus in play. No athlete in history understands the financial cost of divorce like Michael Jordan when all was said and done, the former NBA superstar handed over $168 million to his ex-wife, Juanita, placing him ahead of Neil Diamond and Steven Spielberg for the most expensive celebrity divorces of all time. Now, thankfully, Jordan didn't waste all of his money on things like inflatable furniture rafts and shady investment deals. So his settlement is indeed a huge blow to the bank account, but he still has got massive endorsements and business deals that keep him well out of the poorhouse. I'll do stories like that, not to discourage wealthy men from marrying, but to say, hey, divorce is costly to both men and women. I'll do the flip side of it and say, hey, women, last thing you want is the house. Good God, the last thing you want is the house. I've seen in the last couple of years people go into divorce 
Woman wants a house because the kids. Woman wants a house because the kids. They got friends in the school system. Well, now the house is down two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. While he took all the four hundred one k. Whoops. See, California is supposed to split everything up, but sometimes attorneys don't let that happen, or individuals get emotional. And I can tell you, ladies in divorce, go after the four hundred one k long before you go after the house. You could come live in my basement. I could put a roof over your head. But if you don't have money, you ain't going to look too well from age 60 to 100. So anyway, I digress. So even when I'm talking goofy things like Michael Jordan, I'm still trying to teach you a little bit on investing. And I want to talk a little bit about Apple. They are all over the news today, and I own shares of Apple. I have to legally disclose that to you. On occasion, I forget, but that's not intentional. So Piper Jaffrey, analyst Gene Munster. He's reporting today that Apple's on track to sell between 2.7 and 2.8 million Macs. Now, one of my friends just took his daughter to back-to-school Apple store and spent $2,000 on a Mac. Holy crap, are you kidding me? Average computer today costs 800 bucks. Well, not Apple's. And that's one of the reasons you have to like Apple is because of the high margins associated with their product. So anyway, back to Gene Munster and Piper Jaffray. He says 3 to 7% growth for the full quarter. And so far, we've seen about 2% growth. But September's the really good quarter for back-to-school sales. With just one month of data, it's way too early to call you know, the quarter a given. But it's looking really good. So on top of that, Gene Munster, and he's probably the best Apple analyst out there, in my opinion. He's the most creative. He says the end of the recession in Germany, France, and Japan will no doubt help Apple sales internationally as well. He says sales of iPods are going to continue to recede. Well, the iPhone has basically killed the iPod on some levels. We converged it. So uh, July unit sales of iPods down 17% from the previous year. Typical back-to-school bundling Apple runs. They offer free iPods with new Macs. That should boost iPod sales over the end of the quarter, bringing quarterly sales to just 5 to 14% less than last year. And that's one story on Apple. They're selling a lot of Macs. And you know what I care about? The Mac. Because that's the big profit center. Chomp, 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 chomp. That's where they eat their profits. Just huge over at Apple. Now, there's another story on Apple. It's in All Things Digital. Today, they're reporting that since September 2005, um, Apple's come out with a pretty big announcement. It's planned for September 7th this year. All Things Digital. Now, according to sources in the company, September 7th or September 9th is going, Apple's going to hold an event in San Francisco at the Yerba Buena Center for Arts. And they're expected to showcase upgrades to the iPod line, an update to iTunes that may involve some sort of social element. Sources are insisting that they do not involve the Apple tablet, which is too bad because a lot of people like me wanted to see. Verizon's clearly developing a 4G technology for a device. And it is all over Apple because Verizon's losing out the iPhone to the AT&T. So Verizon probably cut a pretty sweet deal with Apple. No word yet on who's going to preside over the event. Will it be Steve Jobs or not? But September 9th at the Yerba Buena Center for Arts. Speculation, this might be the first time we see Steve Jobs in public since his medical leave earlier this year. We'll find out. A little bit more on Apple. Now I'm going to include a little research in motion. Smartphones. Do you have a smartphone or do you have a dumb phone? <laughs> dumb phones are so 1999. 
it's funny because you know what I want? And if some entrepreneur wants to join me in this, I want to start designing retro cell phones. So that's right. I want the things that are bigger than your head. I want a big old cell phone that is like a weapon, like a brick. I don't want a smartphone anymore. I'm tired of smartphones. They're too smart for me. They, they always check emails and, you know, it's just not cool when you're out with people in a social environment and you're checking emails and checking instant messages and you're driving and the guy next to you is text messaging, trying to hook up and just yuck. So anyway, smartphones represent the next wave of computing and the three C's. Communication, computing, content. There's a convergence going on. Smartphone penetration forecast is about to be 35% of all handsets by 2012. So we're not anywhere near where we could be in smartphone penetration. 99% of Americans have a TV. So 35% by the year 2012 will have smartphone. Now, the iPhone is a 10-year platform. Significant growth in share gains ahead. Outlook is reflecting right now for iPhone share gains in domestic and international markets, driven by distribution, expansion, more innovation in devices and user experience, as well as additional iPhone SKUs. I was just playing around yesterday with an iPhone, and um, you could now get a a TomTom. You know the TomTom? It's that little uh, device that you can hold, and it goes, turn left here. Exit coming in 100 feet. Whoops, you went too far. New turn coming in one mile. So, you know, the, the mapping technology thing, the TomTom makes those, and Garmin also makes them. But TomTom's now is going to turn your iPhone for 99 buckaroos into a complete navigational device. Now, there's other navigational um, software packages that are a lot cheaper than that. But that's what Apple's all about now. They're all about the application. Now, where it's actually kind of interesting, Apple in the 1980s, they effed it up. They screwed up because they said, we're going to develop everything for the Apples. For all of our computers, we're going to develop everything, and they didn't open it up. So with this application store, they opened up applications. Microsoft opened up all their applications. They said, here's the software. Other people go develop for it. And that's why Microsoft really won the 80s, 90s, and 2000s in penetration of, of software operating system. Microsoft, Apple was too closed of a system. Now, with the iPhone, they're not a closed system. They've let developers develop. And this is why Apple's a very intriguing company. And this is why I now see it as a $200 stock. I could see it as high as $250 if things continue to go as well as they have and they continue to hit that special sauce perfection that is only done at Apple. Smartphones are growing. They're penetrating further. Now, I would be very cautious, very cautious on Palm. I think the Palm is cute. And they got a wonderful operating system, the Palm Pre. I'm a little bit more sustainable on research and motion. If I had to own two smartphone companies, it's Apple and research and motion. If I had to own the most speculative of the three, it's Palm, the Palm Pre. I'm a different person. I'm good with my wealth. I'm good with my, my sexuality. I'm good with my, my uh, vigor. I'm good with Apple. I don't have to own research and motion. I don't have to own both. I can go elsewhere for other investments. If you want to own a growing market, it's smartphones. And the three players are Apple, Research in Motion, and Research Motion makes the BlackBerry. And the BlackBerry continues to introduce new platforms and new product. But I don't get the sense that they got the application savvy of Apple. So, I mean, on any given day, you can go to digdigg.com, and all these nerds are reviewing new applications for the iPhone. That's a pretty good marketing tool. I mean, 
nerds are writing marketing press releases for Apple with Apple without doing anything, saying, here's a great reason to buy an iPhone. So I can make a case for research motion up to $125, $130. I can make a case for Apple anywhere between $200 for just evaluation to $250 for a growth, everything goes well valuation. And I can actually see Palm going higher from these levels. All about the smartphone. Let's take a little bit of a break. You know what's sad? I have one more story about Apple, and I'll do this one in 10 seconds or less. They're building a data center because they're trying to kick Akamai Technologies out of the the content delivery business that they have to basically outsource to them. So there's one where the ecology may shift and Akamai may lose, or maybe Apple's just not good at it, and they'll have to keep Akamai around a little bit longer. I wouldn't play Akamai or Limelight. Um, A lot of companies are bringing this business in-house to save a little bit of do-re-mi. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Eight zero zero three four five five six three nine. Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Last week, I started mentioning that Citigroup looks attractive as a speculative investment. I just got done talking about Apple being the, the leader in a growing smartphone market. It's research and motion really hanging tough. And then there's the wild card, Palm Pre. I think Palm ultimately gets acquired by someone like Microsoft who wants to get in this market and just hasn't. So, oh, good God. Um, There's another, and I said, you know, I can only own one or I can only own one. You may want to own two. You may want to own all three because you may need growth. I don't need as much growth. I need a little growth in income. Now, that's how you start building a portfolio. You identify what you need. Now, Citigroup is a company that if I've got 20 stocks and I've got my growth and I've got my income, I've got my stable, I've got my, you know, craft cheese and things like that. I can say I can take a chance on a Citigroup. To diversify, I may say I'm going to own 50% of my one position, of, of my two positions. Let's say I want to own two financial stocks in my portfolio. But in reality, I probably want to own about three out of 20. One's going to be Bank of America. I think they're just premium player who rakes in the money. Next one might be mm, like a GE. Maybe, I'm, I'm not saying this is mine. But maybe you'd be like, yeah, GE does credit cards. They do financing of metal equipment, and they're an international company. I could see that. I could see how you might go that direction. Next one might be something like a Citigroup, where you go, GE's pretty solid. They're going to be in business for years and years and years to come. Bank of America's solid. They've kind of got through the crisis. Now, Citigroup hasn't gotten through the crisis. They're still basically the puppet of the government. So Barack Obama has his hand up there, you know what, making Citigroup a puppet. Until he gets his hand out, I don't want to own it. Well, maybe I do. Oh, see, I'm waffling. Maybe I want to own a little bit right now and then add a little bit more, whether it goes up or down. That's called scaling in. And let's say you get it today at $4 a share and it goes to three. You're like, oh, I'm bummed. I'm down 33%. No, you're not because you saved a little bit of money for it. You scaled into it. So you averaged your price into three fifty. Let's say it's at 4 bucks and it goes to 5 bucks. You're like, oh, I'm bummed. I should add more. But you're up 25% on what you already own. 
So you scale in and get a cheaper overall cost basis. That's how I would play something like a Citigroup. Let's talk about some of the other issues that are out there. I think some things are starting to change in the way we perceive financial rules. In large part, I think when jobs do come back after this recession, and this is going to be called the Great Recession, I think we're going to be a little disappointed that it's not 1999. We're not partying like it's 1999. Unemployment at 4%? Uh-uh. Nuh-uh. So we're not going back to unemployment at 4%. Historically, we used to talk about unemployment in the 5 to 7% range, and then it got really good, and we talked about unemployment in the 4 to 6% range. Then it got really bad, and we got this great recession going. I think we're going to be talking about the norm 5 to 7%, with the norm being about 6.4% unemployment for the next 10 years. Now, I don't think we get to 6.4% unemployment until 2012, 2013, 2014, depending on the success or failure of our economy. So the old thinking on the word risk is different than the new thinking on the word risk. The old thinking on the word employment is different than the new thinking on employment. Things have to change a little bit over time. You know, at one point in time, your grandparents lost their house due to the Great Depression. The banks came and took it. It was a callable loan. Now it's not a callable loan. Your mortgage is guaranteed for 30 years. They can't call it. They can't take it back from you. Your credit cards, they can call that on you. They could say, you know what? We're cutting your limits from 2000 to 1000 bucks. We're changing your rate from 10% to 20%. Those are very different terms than your mortgage. So at one point in time, homes were a huge, scary thing. A mortgage was a huge, scary thing. So you did everything you could to pay it off. Now it's a very, very, very bad idea to pay off your mortgage. Things change. Now, the old thinking on risk is if you could stomach the ups and downs... You'll be rewarded year over year. The new thinking on it is risk isn't really about your stomach. It's about making or missing an important goal. So you know you have to consider risk now, but what is risk? Keep in mind there's inflation risk, there's media risk, there's news risks, there's you know um, opportunity cost, cost of opportunity risk. There's all sorts of types of risk. It's not just whether asset goes up or down. I think a lot of us have learned to think of risk as synonymous, synonymous with volatility. For years, what came down reliably bounced back even higher. You could easily conclude that risk tolerance was just a matter of taste. Now, as long as you had fortitude, you'd see an occasional loss in your 401k. Basically, don't panic, don't panic. And a year or two later, you'd be back to your all-time highs. And what you need to do now is you shouldn't run from risky investments just because they've lost money in the past. But you should understand what are some scenarios for this type of asset. What are some scenarios for stocks? What are some scenarios for bonds? What are some scenarios for growth stocks? What are some scenarios for income stocks? There's no fear in you like looking at a 10-year, 20-year, 30-year chart. You can kind of see the ups and the downs in those periods of time. It gives you an understanding of what you're getting into. On a regular basis, I tell you about you know sectors like XLV. Go take a look at a 30-year chart of it and say, okay, I feel comfortable on a 30-year basis. But take a look at a five-year chart and say, I don't feel so comfortable. But then when you see it dip on a five-year basis and you see it go up over a 30-year basis, say, I think I could go with this one and see it as a value. Cash used to be something that if you kept enough money in ultra-safe accounts to cover life emergencies, but no more. Well, now I think some people are starting to think, you don't want two months of cash. Maybe you want three to four or five or six months of cash. A, because of unemployment. When you're unemployed, it's taking longer to find a job. It used to be when unemployment was at 5 6%, it would take two months to find a job. So now what we're learning is that cash can rescue in an asset emergency as well. 
So having maybe one, two, three percent of your portfolio in cash at all times, maybe five, six, seven, eight percent if you're opportunistic when the market crashes or pulls back or gives you an opportunity, when Google goes down 40, 50 percent from its all time high, having that cash in that portfolio, boom, it gives you an opportunity. So we used to think cash was just just two months. The simultaneous crash in stocks and housing, it's taught us that we need to refine, redefine the word emergency. So in my opinion, I think that's one of the beauties about me is I'm willing to evolve and I'm willing to change. I'm not willing to be stuck in any one uh, mantra for the rest of my life. I think in investing, you have 20 mantras that work for you. And yeah, you evolve them because this market's going to evolve, whether it's the way we look at cash or whether it's the way we look at the stock market or whether it's the way we look at what retirement truly means. If you think real estate's going to come back, you are sick, 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 sick. Now, real estate will come back, but it will never be what it was 2002 to 2006. Some markets will be, but not all markets. You think Nevada's ever coming back to its all-time highs? You think Arizona's ever coming back to its all-time highs? If you do, you could be the financially stupidest person listening right now. Just let you know. Don't forget, I got a seminar coming up, Toll House... Hotel in Los Gatos. It's a lovely hotel. And while you're at the bar, you can eat cookies. Um, it's going to be a wealth and... Uh, speak English. Wealth and retirement planning seminar Thursday night. Uh, you can sign up at robblack.com, robblack.com. I asked for 17 tiny measly bucks for basically two and a half, three hours of time. Um, and all of that goes to charity. Um, sometimes in the past, it goes to Oakland Children's Hospital. Sometimes in the past, it goes to Marin Humane Society. Um, sometimes in the past, it goes to a group called Lamb Foundation. Lamb Foundation is a disease that hits women, typically when they're given birth. Uh, their lung collapses, and what they find out is, whoops, I got a growth in there, and it's not cancer. And lung transplants aren't the easiest thing in the world at this point in time. They're not commonplace. So it's, it, for many women, a death sentence at, sadly, the most glorious time of her life. So I've got family member with uh, Lamb, so it's just something I throw out there. Anyhow, anyway, I'm Rob Black. It's the Rob Black Show. Let's take a little bit of a break. I need to recoup my thoughts. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. I know it's more entertaining to you when we don't have phone calls, but it bores me because I hate rambling. It exhausts me. 800-345-5639. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Yeah, this is Charlie Murphy, and you're listening to Rob Black on Talk 910 KNEW. Boom. Rob Black comes out and throws a mushroom cloud right up their nostril. Charlie Murphy, really funny in sketch comedy. I mean, really funny in sketch comedy. You could spend a whole night watching Charlie Murphy YouTube videos. Hmm. Tough radio interview. It's kind of funny because um, I'm great. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm great. I think I do really good radio. I, I think I do honest radio. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave. Sometimes I do this show with my shirt off. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but some formats, for instance, uh, there was... I, I used to do... I did it. I was interviewed by the young lady named Laura. Um, and she's married to the the anchor on NBC down in San Jose. And she's tiny. I forget her last name. I want to say Garcia, but that's not right. Um, she's tiny. She's like the size of a Coke bottle. She might be two feet. She's tiny. So they interview her with me and I'm a big dude. 
I look like a linebacker. <laughs> so they put me in a chair next to her, and it looked like I was going to eat her like a donut. Um, I don't interview terribly well, and I've never really um, been graded. I'm getting a little bit better. If you watch the 4 o'clock news, I interview with Catherine Heenan, and she, she does a little banter with me, and Heather Donald does as well. And I guess I've gotten a little bit more comfortable at being asked questions, but I prefer to throw my content out there and run. So, because I don't necessarily think I'm so good at it. You know, I was talking about ideas and thoughts. And by the way, if you want to see an honest Rob Black, go to 910kennyw.com, 910kennyw.com, and you'll you'll see a pretty honest Rob Black there today in the blog, for better or for worse. I show you some of my warts that I've never shown before. So, old thinking, new, old thinking and new thinking. I was talking a little bit about that in the start of the segment, previous segment, and like cash is different and risk is different and, you know, inflation you got to factor in everything and change your opinions, and you shouldn't be stuck in stone with anything. Old thinking was borrowing sensibly. It was a great way of building wealth. Now, the new rule or the new thought is you borrow cautiously because you have to worry about other people's debts now as well. Uh, the quarter century that led up to 2007, it wasn't just a simple golden age for stocks. It was a bull market for leverage. Last 25 years up until 2007 was all about American leverage. Now, since 1982, mortgage rates have fallen from 16% in 1982. If you got a mortgage in 1982, your rate was 16%. Now that leverage has dropped all the way down to 6% or lower. And what did Americans do when money was made cheaper? (laughs) We spent. So our personal savings rate has fallen from 12% back in 1982 to zilch. We need to get back up to that 12% or somewhere there near B. So people have been leaning a little bit too much on housing wealth, and that's shaky. It is shaky. I'd be very, very cautious expecting leverage to work in your favor. Keep in mind, if my neighbor goes into foreclosure, oh my God, I just lost 20%, just like that, because that's now a comp on my street. It may be 30%. I hate him. Do you see, I mean, sometimes your leverage, let's say you get a million dollar home and your neighbor goes into foreclosure and it's going for 700000 because the bank wants to get it off their records. Well, an appraiser is going to come by and look at that $700,000 in that million dollar home and he's going to say, whoops, Mr. Million, you're down to 700000 because that's what is being sold recently in your neighborhood. So you got to be very, very careful on what you think leverage is and or is not to you. It is not what it used to be in any way, shape or form. Let's take a quick look at the stock market. That's French, you know, for the stock market. Good day. Good day. Um, Stocks are getting some ground on earnings data. Apple shares a little bit higher on that upbeat iPhone forecast that I threw out. Boom. Right out of the nostril. Ford is planning vehicles to interact with power grids. That's tied towards um, the next big thing. The next big thing is going to be improving our energy infrastructure. There's no doubt about it in my mind. There are some investments there. They're not like the dot-com investments. They're not venture capital money that's looking to go, boom, straight up a 1,000%. They're a little bit more established. Thursday night at the seminar, I'll hand out some ideas on some infrastructure plays. But that's where our next big thing in America comes from, and it's, it's about time. We're using power lines and water utilities from the early 1900s. We've got an archaic mode. So Ford says they're going to plan vehicles to interact with power grids. Smart power grid. Wouldn't it be nice if you're not at home, if you could just say, power off my home. Jump online and have all the power off your home, except for natural gas. And you spend $0 on electricity for the next six hours. 
Or you can go to your house and unplug it, each and every single outlet, and then you'd spend zero. But every time you have something plugged in, it, it's draining power. It's vampiric. So smart thing to do is when you leave your house, throw the circuit breaker. Um, if you don't mind coming back home and throw in the circuit breaker. I mean, you'll save hundreds of dollars a year if you do that. So there's some smart power strips that will do the same exact thing. Um, you can buy some some utilities that will, you know, power off your uh, your issues. But power strips will drain energy, too, unless you power them off. Um, but they're still draining some energy if there's some activity there. So keep that in mind. Heidi, you just threw that out at me. Do you turn off all the power in your house? Yeah. Yeah, so Heidi says the power strip has a strip uh, button that you can turn off everything. I'm, I didn't know power strips to add a little button on them. I think everyone knows that, Heidi. Don't talk to me like I'm stupid. Don't talk to me like I'm dumb. Talking to me like my dad. My dad's dead. So she's not exactly talking to me like my dad, because my dad would talk to me like, ooh, power strips have buttons, ooh. So she's not quite doing it, but you get the idea. Um, I know you're saying, did he just really do that? I have no budget. Clear Channel is cheap. I've got one co-employee, and between the two of us, we pull magic off on this show. Anyway, um, oh, this is kind of interesting. Airlines, and I don't see an investment here, but there's a story here. Eight U.S. airlines have signed a deal with a biofuel company called Rintech, R-E-N-T-E-C-H. And by the way, Rin and Stippy, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. But that's neither here nor there. Los Angeles International Airport, eight airlines are going to get together and use what is considered a biodiesel fuel, and it's going to be for all the ground vehicles. It's not going to be for the airplanes. Don't worry about that. And it's called RIN diesel, and it's, it's made from woody urban green waste. So your lawn refuge, it's going to be making energy, and I think that's cool. That's the renewable type of energy we need to focus on, on as a nation, whether it's, um, you know, like kelp. Or whether it's the mosses and the funguses. Stuff that we can grow right here in our own backyard. And not corn. Not food. We don't want food to be energy. We want food to be food. Anyway, um, Alaska Airlines, American Airlines, Continental Airlines, Delta Airlines, Southwest Airlines, United Airlines, UPS Airlines, and U.S. Airways. They're all contributing to this L.A. International biodiesel company idea for the ground vehicles. And I think that's cool. Um, and again, I probably sound like a hippie teenage kid when I say the word cool. Hey, I don't apologize for it. FBR, they came out with some research today on searches. And Google's got 20% of the year-over-year growth in searches. So they're doing good. The overall market's up about 15% year-over-year in searches. Now, Microsoft with Bing, B-I-N-G, B-I-N-G, that's their new search engine, um, they actually gained a little bit of market share. Now, here's the kicker. With paid advertising, it's going to come out of its funk, and when it does, you're going to want to own some momentum stock of Google. Rob Black, weekday mornings from 10 to noon on Talk 910 KNEW. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.